Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Auntie Vice, and this is Fat Chicks on Top. We are here today with Nika Sherelle. She is an amazing podcaster and does the It Cast. I was on the It Cast with her and we had a fantastic conversation. She's also had a number of the guests that have been on my show, on her show. So if you haven't heard it, go check it out. She's on YouTube and, and all the platforms and hers is visual. So you get more than just you get with me. She is also a toy maker, a sculptor, a fine artist and a life empowerment coach. Welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Um, and I love the work you do. Thank you. Yeah, we we this is a mutual fan club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the it cast covers similar topics that to what we cover on Fat Chicks on Top. So I want to ask, how did you come to do that? Because yeah. you have a degree in in fine arts. This is not a Let's, you know, you think of the statue of David or fine paintings, and this is not a, let's talk about sex toys and being fat and thick and juicy. Right. So how'd you end up there? I love it. Thank you for that question. Um, and it does, it goes all the way back into my arts practice. Uh, one of the things that I focus on doing is creating a voice for people who often don't get heard. And that lands at the intersections of so many things, race, class, gender, religion, uh, so many so many things. And all of those things impact how we move through the world. So if you've seen my early portfolio or even just my, you know, my visual sculptural work, there's a lot of like bold emotion and power and intensity. And it's like, you know, like, what are we, what are we not talking about? What are we not saying? And how can we turn a lens on that? So ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't have a background in industrial design, nor do I have a background or a master's in social work. Uh, but I do like to talk and, and like create conversations about things. So, um, long story short, <laughs> I made a political series, um, in one of my, uh, in, as a part of my portfolio. And it talked about gender dominance and gender toxicity and how we all are striving to be the top of the totem pole. doesn't matter what's in our pants. It matters about how we were ingrained and acculturated to be in this patriarchal colonialist capitalist system where like, we have to have the biggest dick. So I, <laughs> took that concept uh, and I, I got some feedback from some friends and they were like, will you make that functional? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And the sculptures are in the shape of a gun handled dick. 
And so they're like, well, you make it functional. And I'm like, huh? And they're like, well, you make it fuckable. And (laughs) that changed everything. Oh my God. So I set out on this project to create this um, this art piece into something sexy and erotic and ergonomic, the the function of it. Like it's so, it's so enjoyable and like it's soft and I don't know. (laughs) It's silicone. It's medical grade silicone. So like it's not like, you know, it's not hard or edgy. It's actually really quite delightful and inspires a lot of play and a lot of fun. That sparked a whole life inside of the world of sex and sexuality and those conversations and constructs. And I, several years after starting to design the toy um, and having so many people ask me questions, it's what it was. It was like, well, what do you know about this? And what do you think about that? And how can I, and Ooh, sex. And I'm like, well, you know, let's just talk about it. Like, let's actually sit down and talk about it. So the podcast got its name in reference to the it cast, it being the things that we don't want to talk about, and then real talk on sex. And so like focusing our conversations, they're like, what's, what is it that we don't want to talk about? And how does that relate to our health and sexuality and personal development? It's, it's wonderful. It inco- incorporates all of that into it. Before we get in, delve in deeper, I want to ask what you had to have a lot of unlearning, right? We're all raised in this, this society that's heteronormative, where with capitalism, where, you know, your productivity and able-bodiedness is what is valued, maleness is valued, whiteness is valued. How did you start unlearning that? Ooh, wow. Uh, first, I'm still in the process. Um, and I think that it's a, a powerful journey that living in this world, we, you know, it's important that we be a part of. It's okay if you're not. And also, you know, like that's largely where we're striving to be as humans. I think, you know, that fully embodied, like love for oneself. So unlearning. Oh, that's a tough one. (laughs) I think unlearning comes with seeing. And it wasn't until I was in my full adult life, uh, as I'm still growing in there, that I actually began to see in retrospect the experiences that I had growing up and like throughout my life. Um, And it was it was really, really fascinating to see the boxes that um, that I was born into. So like, uh, grew up in Kansas city, Missouri in the Bible belt in a previously Confederate state. (laughs) So like, we're talking about a lot of racism, politics, segregation, you know, the levels of colorism being a dark skinned person. It's like, I've got a whole specific thing, slew of things to deal with. Um, you know, in addition to being a woman, being short, um, you know, like, like being heavy set. Cause well, this is fat mm-hmm. chicks on top. So like, I was always thick. <laughs> it had like whatever exercise I did, however active I was, I'm a chunky person. I like it. I got curves. I'm voluptuous. Like these are things that I had to learn to embody and appreciate. So my descriptors, and it's taken a lot of healing for me to be able to actually say this out loud as an adult, as much as I threw it around as a kid, but 
my original descriptors were short, fat, black, and ugly. Mm. And I hear those now and I'm like, wow, that is a deep, deep pool of low self-esteem. And it was ingrained into me. I wasn't tall enough. I was never going to be thin enough to find love. I was too dark for everything. And being dark made you ugly. Like, oh, yeah, you're just ugly by default. (laughs) And and being fat made you ugly by default. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All these non-normative things. And, you know, being able to acknowledge that and then own it and feel it. It wasn't until, oh, my God, December. I was like, real recent. <laughs> yep. I was uh, I was at home visiting my family and I walked past uh past a mirror and I like caught a glimpse of myself and I was like, "Oh, I'm voluptuous." And then I like smiled and kicked and like just kept on walking. <laughs> and my mom she sees this whole thing going down and she's like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yes." And like, I had gotten so much of the context of that conversation from other people's internalized shame around their body and their weight and what they've gone through. And it wasn't even mine to own. So when I put it down, it was like, damn, like I'm attractive. I'm voluptuous. Like, like who doesn't love pillows on a bed? Right. (laughs) So... (laughs) Like some real recent shit. And um, yeah, I mean, I could go, I could go on. Like, yeah, just really learning to appreciate my beauty. My hair was a big thing, a really big thing. Um, as someone who has uh uh 4C hair, which is the curliest curl pattern or curliest, a very tight curl pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always given flack about the fact that my hair didn't lay down and it wasn't quote unquote easy to comb and all these other things. And, um, you know, growing up in a hair salon, a black hair salon in the segregated South. Oh man. (laughs) I was in like net weaves in the sixth grade. (laughs) Wow. And I hated it. I hated every mm-hmm. minute of it. I'm gender non-conforming, non-binary. I go by they, them. Um, and it took a lot like in my childhood to see and feel how disconnected that was. And it, it just wasn't me. So I went through a lot of phases. I shouldn't call them phases, actually. That's a terrible phrase. Um, I went through a lot of experiences with my natural hair and like growing into that. Someone referred to it as a phase when I was in high school and I was like, this is not the, like, she was like, oh yeah, like a fad, like in the seventies. And I was like, no, like this is a whole liberation and realm of ownership. And I'm still working with that and like healing and and feeling and learning some things. And funny enough, uh, I keep my head shaved now, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. lets you know where I am on that journey. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and also like, it is quite beautiful. It's quite beautiful. Oof. Okay. Tiny share. There's this conversation around, uh, not touching a black woman's hair. And there are so many layers to what that conversation means, looks like, so forth and so on. But the truth of the matter is, don't pet me. 
I'm not an animal. Thank you. Not fucking pet me. Like, (laughs) and so now I realize I'm like, I do not care for people to touch my hair by any standard, by any means, but I love the feeling of having my scalp rubbed. Like, Mm. Like my favorite. (laughs) So like that is a motivator to keep my head shaved because that is one of the most sensual experiences I can have with people. And I love it. I love it. Oh, and the feeling of the shaved head. My partner has a fade and he keeps it real close. And that, oh, it feels so good in your fingers. (laughs) Yes, a win on both sides. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that that hair conversation goes deep. Um, we had Alex Jard on the show who writes for the Good Men Project. And when um, our latest justice took the, the bench, he's like, can you somebody tell Amy Coney Barrett, like, don't touch her hair? Like, Justice Karen, please do it. Reach over. And I'm like, it hurt deep because, you know, <laughs> you know, that's a thing. Like, you know, somebody had to have pull her aside and say, Hey, Karen, come here. Nope. <laughs> oh, oh, that's it's so real. It's so I real. Am. And like, there's this conversation around the white gaze, and mm-hmm. it's the idea. And honestly, like the the conversation underneath it is just by your presence of looking at something changes the nature of what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's a universal construct, and in the realm of the white gaze, there's a particular cultural energetic conversation that's present there. And it's true. It's like, like almost like a, you should know better, (laughs) but also the way that it feels over here is like the level of consciousness, like, like sticking out like a sore thumb, like it's deeply discomforting. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking for Katanji. Just that's I'm just talking for me right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you would have had to struggle with that in art, right? Because you you know different people are looking at that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, so yeah. our listeners can't hear, but the the expression is like. Uh, so you want to talk about that a little bit about struggling with that in your own artwork because. Man, your stuff is powerful, but it changes by the viewer. Yeah, it does. It really does. And thank you for that. One of the things that I, one of the things that I have said every time that I've spoke about myself as an artist is that I am a classically trained fine art sculptor. And those words are so powerful. Like, not only do they mean a lot of things, but in the realm of art, in conversations on art, historically, you don't see a lot of people of color being considered fine artists. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that, that work, it's like, well, why is it that art made by white people is called fine art and art made by people of color is called folk art? Like this is a whole historic conversation. And so being a fine artist and not owning that, like even saying owning, like, you know, we all get to even exist how we do. And also I know some incredibly skilled, incredibly talented, like would blow your fucking mind artists that don't get the recognition and like their work gets sold on the side of the road for like $40 a pop because people are not valuing and appreciating it. 
So in that realm, I have access to conversations that a number of people don't have access to access to or can't express. And it is my, given who I feel I am, it is my position and, you know, even my podium to say the things that aren't being articulated for everyone. I don't, well, I, I talk about this piece a lot, but I don't think I've actually shared about it on any particular uh, media outlet. But I have this piece that I did uh, for my thesis exhibition, and the title of the piece is called Fruit of the Womb. It is an image of a Black slave woman. And um, historically, one of the narratives is that to break, to break the spirit of your slaves, like inflicting extreme amounts of violence is like what breaks the human spirit. And so they, in this narrative, they took a pregnant slave woman, they hung her upside down by her feet, they cut her open and then crushed the fetus. And I heard that and uh, that story and I was like, that's a lot there, especially given like, you know, the whole aspect of womanhood and being fruitful and life coming through the uterine vein and like, you know, these things Mm-hmm. There's value. There's value in that. And and so I fruit, <laughs> the things we consume. <laughs> so I took the piece and to, this is great. Fruit of the loom. We're just going to stick that mm-hmm. in yeah. there. Fruit of the womb. And I basically the belly is open and it is a serving mm-hmm. dish. There was a lot of conversations around fine art and functional arts. So I fucked with that too. And there's this, so she's holding her belly out. It's cut open and it's a serving dish. And in my thesis exhibit, there was this conversation that people only go to the art shows for the food. So I was like, great, great. (laughs) Well, let's disrupt that conversation. So this was the serving piece, the centerpiece in the middle of the snack table. And inside of it, I put a whole roast chicken and I lined it with ribs. And then I stuck a knife right in the center of it and walked away. The reactions to that piece. Yeah. Were so vast. It's, it's hard to articulate, but I had two specific people comment. And one of them was a Black woman. She came up to me and she said, wow, thank you so much for doing that. I can't eat from that piece. I can't. And then this gentleman approached me and he was like, I had to come back and tell you. I was just at your show and I got some food and I was walking to another gallery. And as I was eating like this really delicious piece of chicken, it hit me what I had just done. And I had to come back and tell you that. Older white gentleman, I don't know if I said that, but it was one of those moments where it was like, you get this you get the the level and the 
you know, the breakdown mm-hmm. and the hurt and the shame. Like mm-hmm. there's a whole conversation that needs to be had from multiple angles so that we can feel it. So we can actually feel our humanity. It's like, how long have we been desensitized and shut down from our emotions to be a part of this machine? Like this expands our humanity. And that's what I do with my work. Like even not seeing it, there's there's a visceral reaction to the description because, good lord, uh, as somebody who taught, you know, American politics and the history, um, I don't think most people grasp the depth of the violence and cruelty of slavery, and even with the little bit of education we give our our kids now in K-12 around it, they're trying to even soften that and make it more acceptable. And the discussion that often happens, especially in school board meetings, is, well, we don't want to make white kids uncomfortable. Right. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to cut you off, but yes, skin crawling. (laughs) So... As a black kid raised in a Confederate state, let's talk about the education you got growing up. <sighs> okay, okay, you go hard. <laughs> I like this show. <laughs> For everyone who's a first time listener, watch every episode. This <laughs> fucking love this. So that. Funny enough, I have not experienced anything different anywhere that I've studied in the country. Um, We had only one requirement for African-American studies. In our whole four years of high school, we had to take one quarter, not a semester, one quarter of African-American history condensed. Everything else was colonialist, world history from the colonialist perspective, and so many other things. And it was challenging. You know, the schools were separated, segregated. The neighborhoods Mm -hmm. were segregated. There were all these different things. And so you've got people in this public school needing one quarter of this information and you've got people in public schools just across town who are in a different district and they don't have that requirement. And then I went to art school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, I'm like, let me not say a lot of extra. I don't want to defame my automotive. Mater- mater- and I love them. They were an incredible mm-hmm. school, um, but they did the same thing. They did the mm-hmm. same thing. There was one multicultural humanities course and you know it was it was a semester and what they did is they combined african american history and native american history as though it was this one thing from the colonialist perspective and that was what was brought into the conversation angry making especially to me and my best friend who happens to be native american i mean we were sitting there seething um mm-hmm. and I was uh, I was the only student in this particular class. One of the assignments that we had was, what is your immigration story? Like, what's the conversation around your family migrating to this country? Where did you come from? What blah, 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 blah. And that face you're making right there, that face is exactly the face I made. 
I rolled my eyes so hard and I was taking some <laughs> deep sighs and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So I walked out of that classroom, determined to make an A, already like had given my instructor like, you know, this is fucked up. And they were like, well, just do it anyway. Just give it a try. And this was another woman of color. She wasn't black. She's mm-hmm. perfect color. And it was one of those moments where I got what she was saying and also this was another one of those moments where I had to be the scapegoat and Mm -hmm. the teacher and the person who is like representing black people and our history so I went back a few generations and you know names changed people got sold You know, there's so much to that history that has been lost and specifically erased. And, oh, yeah, let's let's not offend white people. We don't want to do that ever. (laughs) It it, it kills me because it's like nobody else in the class matters. Like, you know, so nobody let's not ask the the native kids or the black kids about erasing their entire history and how that makes them feel. Right. And I think that gets lost. How does learning about that history and unlearning the colonial narrative, right? Where it's just big, strong people settling and making the world a better place. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I, I think once you start to unlearn it, it's just everything. You're just like, oh my God, it's everywhere and it's oppressive and it's, it's enraging. It is. It, it, I mean, it's sickening and it's frustrating. I, um, you know, I, there's this itty bitty, itty bitty small things as you, as you were describing that. And I was like, oh yeah, look at our ships. And you know, mm-hmm. like there's this imagery. I was looking at this silhouette of this old ship with the bows and pirates and whatever the hell. And I'm like, slave ships, like, like we we look at this image and we're like, oh, it's so pretty. And it's like, what was actually happening? What cargo was being moved from where to where? Like there's a whole narrative. And yet, like I'm looking at this painting of like a ship in the northern lights and it's like, oh, and I'm like, mm. And it's little things like that that pop up and people are like, well, why are you so angry about it? And I'm like, why don't you fucking get it? um and and so like you said you know we talk about microaggressions now and we talk about so many other things I remember being in college and one of the other students I um one of the photographers student photographers going around Mm -hmm. like oh I'm taking pictures for the college you mind if I get one of you and I was like sure no problem and so we took a few photos and then the next day a photo of me ended up front and center on the website <laughs> I was like one of five black people that year. <laughs> and you know, it, it there was part of it where it was an honor. You know, I had gotten mm-hmm. the largest scholarship out of anyone who had attended that school thus far. Like I I'm a badass artist. Like there's reasons for me to be in that position. And one of my classmates turns to me and says, "You know they only did that cuz you're black, right?" I was like, "I know." but you didn't have to mm-hmm. say that shit mm-hmm. like extra fucked up. And those are yeah. the things that people don't acknowledge 
happen. Yeah. You know, like those are the things that when we're talking about offending people, you know, when we're talking about upsetting people, we we don't acknowledge shit like that. Can I tell one more story? Please. <laughs> <laughs> um so I I did some work with this nonprofit and uh around diversity and allyship and uh and you know after black lives actually started to matter to people other than mm-hmm. black <laughs> there was all of this like you know this upsurgence of well, how can we be inclusive and do these things now mm-hmm. and I was talking about their marketing and I was like you know you have absolutely no people of color in your marketing and you're wondering mm-hmm. why people of color aren't interested in your organization why they're not showing up why they're not donating like all these different things and I'm like well where are you representing you know, where are you acknowledging and honoring that, like, all these people need your services? And one of the main things, it was like the first thing that came up was, well, we don't want to offend our current donors. And I was like, what about pictures of people of color should be offensive? Like, why would that be offensive to your current donors? And it's the it's the microaggressive thought pattern where it's like you didn't <laughs> like you you want to do this work and actually you're mentally gatekeeping and perpetuating the bullshit, the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's phenomenally amazing how ignorant people can be to their own prejudices, and that's another part of the unlearning. It is. It is. As you've started to unlearn it, how has it changed the relationship with your body? <laughs> so um, I lead this workshop around uh, releasing sexual shame, a pathway to freedom is what it's called. And so we actually like look at the things that have held us back and discover how to move forward empowered. And so the last time I led that workshop was at a, it was at an event that was clothing minimal, wasn't clothing optional, but you Mm -hmm. know, clothing minimal if you wanted. And I had the opportunity to lead this workshop and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to lead this in my underwear. Like it, and it was like, I kind of offhandedly thought about it. And a friend of mine was like, you have to do that. You have mm-hmm. to do that. And when I thought it through, I'm like, when, am, when else am I going to get to have a conversation about shame? Damn near naked. Like, <laughs> this isn't going to happen at a hotel conference. I'm like, maybe, I guess we could try. Um, <laughs> but it was such a powerful opportunity. And I got up there and I, the first thing I said was, I sit here before you as a 411, 235 pound, dark skinned woman. And as I shared that, I didn't make any meaning of it. Like it wasn't tall or short. It wasn't fat or skinny. Mm -hmm. Like it, it didn't mean anything. And then I continued with the workshop and it was like, there was this empowered embodiment that was It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful for me to be able to stand in and own that. And at the end of the workshop, several people were like, oh my God, thank you for doing that because I feel insecure about my body. And it was so amazing to watch you up there, like 
beautifully expressing this. And <laughs> it was all kinds of yummy. It was all kinds of mm-hmm. yummy. And I had, I'd caught a glimpse of one of my friends who has a similar body shape to mine, which I had not noticed before, as she's a touch taller. And I think she was coming from the pool area. And I looked up and I was like, she's so gorgeous. And then I was like, I'm so gorgeous. And it was like the first time that I was able to like let these things resonate and be a part of who I am. Yeah. And you touch on something there that I think is really important is when you can see the beauty in somebody who's similar to you, it makes it easier for you to accept your own beauty. And there was this amazing piece in the New York Times probably two months back about a Black a uh, woman, she's an artist, and I cannot remember the name. I'll I'll put the link up when I put the show up. I'll I'll go back and find it. But talking about being a heavy set black woman who went to Greece and looked at all of the classical statues and what it meant for her own body. Mm. So when you were going through all your your art training, because those are those are held up as the pin, like the statue of David and the Venus de Milo, these are held up as the pinnacle of beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, through art school, of course, you're going to be exposed to all of this. And how do you take that and then still come to come out in a place where you can say, I don't look anything like that, and I am still amazing. Mm, yes. Yes. You know, that's kind of a tough question because Black women and particularly Black girls are incredibly Mm over-sexualized. And there's a lack of protection for Black girls. You know, that's really where it starts. It's like, oh, well, like, they're going to grow up to be sluts. And it's like, you're not letting them be kids. Like, (laughs) there's all these different layers to it. And so... Growing up, like there wasn't necessarily the conversation of the the white, like thin mm-hmm. archetype being attractive. Like it was a ooh, a black girl's ass. Like that's what it was. And I always had the insecurity that I never mm-hmm. quite had enough to have a black girl's ass. I was like, well, wait a minute. It's, you know, all these stereotypes that get fallen into. Um, But at the same time, like, it was, it was naturally a part of me. Like when I make work, I tend to make work that's from my own head. Like occasionally I will, you know, I'll, I'll sit with an image of some, something else and, you know, make it. But typically the shit just comes from my head and I'm like, okay, into reality. And every time I do a piece like that, everyone looks at it and says, oh, it looks just like you. And I look at it and I'm like, no, it doesn't. (laughs) But there is a subtlety when you're making art where like you look at yourself so many times a day. And so when I start to make a sculpture, I'm like, well, clearly cheekbones look like this. And clearly a nose looks like that. And like, this is, <laughs> and, and it's so funny because it's, it's in here. And also it, it resonates no matter what is being created. So I do have the experience in that space that it is more and more challenging to 
find fine art representations of people of color or voluptuous people. There was this one artist who did these gorgeous bronzes of these women that were like thick and juicy (laughs) and had like long titties, like long, okay? (laughs) If anyone out there is not familiar with naturally large breasts. Um, and so, you know, there were these, they were, they were phenomenal and they were all still in the realm of the white archetype, but to be able to see, you know, stepping outside of that work and also like as a larger bodied person, I've had people point out that like, that's not typically the creation of my art. I have some um, life drawings that like, I love, they're gorgeous. And a friend of mine looked at those, looked at those and she was like, That's a white lady. (laughs) And I looked at it and I was like, yeah. (laughs) But what wasn't present for me in that conversation was that I had actually drawn those in a life drawing class where the model was a white lady. And so I'm in, I do incredibly like highly realistic imagery. So like, that's just what I drew. Also, Mm -hmm. that's what's offered in the realm of fine art because that's what's offered. And I think as more uh, as more people are allowed into this space, we will have more models of color and we will have more, you know, uh, different experiences that are less stereotypical than some of the ones we do now. And I think that those are very important things, but, you know, outside of outside of my own view and experience of myself, there's structured anatomy and the way in which things are done. Mm-hmm. I guess when I say structured anatomy too, I don't, well, yeah, there's a white archetype to that. Um, but, you know, when you learn anatomy books, you learn the thin and the muscular and the proportioned in a specific way, because this is how the body supposed to look and is. And so it's very easy to like, just kind of put skin on those muscles, Mm -hmm. keep it pushing versus like flow and elegance, Um, which, yeah, it gets in there. I do that too. Well, and you bring that up in my first, it flashed. I've never seen a life uh, drawing model with a missing limb. They're all visibly able-bodied, right? That, that's Mm -hmm. another part that's, that's missing from this whole conversation. When you mean, when you say missing lip, like cleft palate. Limb. Like oh, limb. Limb. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, it's there, there's a lot that's left out of that conversation. And I don't even know if most people think about that when they go to a life drawing class. Is do you have somebody able body who can sit there for an hour? Yeah. And model for an hour. Yeah. And you know, there are um there are organizations that, you know, place models and mm-hmm. I thought about going, going and like applying to one of those, because, you know, it's like to be able to, you know, provide this. And I've sat for drawings before and it's totally like, it's, it can be quite fun, but I'm curious. And I, I have no experience in this whatsoever. So I'm not speaking to any particular organization mm-hmm. or group. I am curious what the stipulations are for being included in like being a life drawing model. Cause they're like, there's the, the line actually, like that's the, the Mm -hmm. gate in which whether or not this happens in this world. And I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Like, I know that that's no judgment, Mm -hmm. just curiosity. 
Yeah, no, I now I have a whole bunch of questions I need to go find out. <laughs> and if listeners have the answer, please drop that in the comments because I am fascinated about how you qualify for this. Because again, yeah, really fat people, people with visible disabilities. Like I've never seen a Down syndrome person in yeah. a life model class. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and- no, it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's um and it's fascinating that you say that because I have seen a lot of that inside the realm of photography. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of catharsis in having your scars and wounds and you know other things like documented in a way in which is beautiful and empowered and like ownership. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's a beautiful narrative and a very specific conversation. And it also like it, it it's it varies for the artist. It varies for the model. It's not a part of a system in which we are fed constructs. I could talk to you forever, but I'm trying to. Re- oh my god, <laughs> we could just have an ongoing conversation. This is fantastic. I'm going to have to have you back on the show because there's so much we haven't even touched yet. I love that. That's a whole other conversation we need to have. I've been working on it for a while. Is um. Everybody else has ancestors. White people have relatives. Huh. We don't honor the ancestors. Huh. Like, and I think there's something there. I just haven't. But yeah, there's a whole conversation there of why everybody else has ancestors and we have relatives. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna do this a lot. <laughs> we, we are. We are. My ancestors brought me to you. Like <laughs> there we go. There we go. If our listeners want to find you, they want to find your artwork, they want to find the the trigger happy toy, all the things. Plug all the things. All the things, all the things, all the things. Yes. Uh, so you can find my fine art at marnikashelton.com. And uh, all this is on my link tree. So I'm going to say the link and then you can find <laughs> them in mm-hmm. one tight, tidy little place. But marnikashelton.com has all of my fine art sculpture work. Uh, you can see more there. And please definitely contact me if there's any way in which you want to interact in that realm. You can find my sex toy at triggerhappytoy.com. Uh, it's the Nikita sex toy. And please get it. It's it's super sexy. It comes in pink, purple, gold. We could talk about other colors if you like, but definitely, definitely check that out. Then the it cast, <laughs> like which one do I talk about first? Uh, so the it cast real talk on sex focuses on creating diversity and conversations on health and sexuality. So we're going out to the people, to the places who don't have the conversation or the resources to be empowered and to really move forward in their own lives so that they can even get to levels of pleasure that inside of the realm of sexuality if they even go there but to just be able to enjoy life and i do offer one-on-one coaching uh empowerment coaching in many different areas whether you were looking for accountability processes or you know like relationship conversations like i do i do a gamut of things you can schedule uh on my calendly also through my link tree if you want to book a free connection session where we can just talk about what you need and create a plan 
Excellent. Thank you so much. All those links will be available to our listeners on the show notes. Thank you so much for being on and we will definitely have you back. Yes. your anti-vice. If you're looking for some great sex toys, check out thesexshed.com this week and use code REBECCA10 for 10% off any purchases. If you're looking for books and gear, Wicked Grounds is now offering personal shoppers on Wednesday. Contact wickedgrounds.com and work with somebody to find the things that best fit you. Finally, Check out loveletterstoaunicorn.com this week. I'm working with a couple of academics on sexuality research. Please consider participating. Thank you. And now, a moment of gratitude. That's a good question. Like, I'm actually, I'm grateful for so many things. Like, there isn't a specific word that's arising. But, you know, like, my life. I, um, I've i been doing this work around honoring the ancestors. Like, really understanding what veneration means and, like, where I fall in that space. And one of the things that occurred for me is that if not, for every single action that my ancestors took, I would not be who I am today. So I'm really grateful for my ancestors and the people who brought me on this journey to be able to do what I do in the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.